All right. Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church. It's good to be together, even though it's kind of different than we are normally together. It's a little weird, isn't it? But we're going to make do. We're going to be okay. God's going to do his work, whether it's via our technology or whatever. God's in control of these things. So we're going to trust him through it all. I hope and pray that you are all managing this crisis well. Um, our passage today is going to, I think, speak to us about this very thing that we're facing. It's amazing how appropriate and helpful this passage is. seems that throughout the life of our church, we've always had passages that seem to come up in our sermon series that address exactly what we're uh, dealing with. And it's no different today. God is sovereign in these things. And he knew before time began that I would be preaching Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30 at this very time in human history when we are experiencing this uh, worldwide crisis. So the book of Philippians is where we're, where we're at. We're studying the book of Philippians. It's been a wonderful study. I hope you've been enjoying it. I've certainly been enjoying studying it and preaching it. Um, and of course, this letter, it really is a letter from Paul to the Christians in Philippi, uh, is really Paul's uh, letter to remind the Philippians of his circumstances. His circumstances, in fact, were the basis of this letter. The Philippians had written Paul a letter delivered by Epaphroditus um, saying that they were concerned for Paul's welfare. They didn't know how he was doing, so they sent Epaphroditus to find out. And Paul replied to their letter and to Aphrodite's questions with this letter to reassure them that his circumstances were what they were, but that God was using them to advance the gospel. Listen to this verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, he, he was concerned for these people, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, things are fine, I'm in prison, that's true, I'm awaiting my trial that may end in my execution, that's fine, but things are really okay and God's using my circumstances to advance the gospel. Paul wanted his dear friends in Philippi to know that they had been and were continuing to be partners in the gospel. He mentioned that in verse 5, if you remember. They were integral to the advancement of the cause of Christ in the first century. Paul used his own circumstances of being in prison, awaiting trial, to encourage the Philippian church and help them see that God uses circumstances to accomplish his will. You know where this is going, don't you? I'm certain you do. When I was a soccer coach at West Valley High School for a few years, I used to require our players to memorize 12 statements. One of my favorite statements that I had the players uh, memorize was this. This is an opportunity, not a threat. This is an opportunity, not a threat. With the coronavirus outbreak, we have a unique set of circumstances that God has placed us in. Will we see this global crisis through the eyes of faith or through the eyes of fear? Will we see this as an opportunity or a threat? I hope that the passage today will encourage you to see this as an opportunity, to take advantage of our present circumstances, to demonstrate our partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to demonstrate our confidence in God's caring sovereignty. Let me read for you the verses from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 
through 30. If you have a Bible with you at home, I want you to follow along. It'll be helpful for you. Here are these verses. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What a wonderful passage that we're going to look into this morning. Paul has concluded his introductory remarks from verse 1 through verse 26, where he told them about his circumstances, and he told them that he was okay, he was even rejoicing in his circumstances. He told them that what that we saw last time that we were together, that it really didn't matter what was going to happen to him because he was going to make much of Christ whether he lived or whether he died. So it really didn't matter. Now, in these verses, Paul turns his attention to the Philippians and how they ought to be thinking about their circumstances. And of course, this applies to us, how we ought to be thinking about our circumstances. As the planter of their church, Paul wanted them to continue living as partners of the gospel, to advance the gospel in Asia Minor. What do you think God wants us to do, Sun Valley Church, in our circumstances with this coronavirus? I think these verses are going to help us see what God wants us to do. Some of you may remember this, but 17 years ago today, we had our first Sunday service at East Valley High School. We started Sun Valley Church with certain goals. These goals are reflected in these verses that I just read for you. These verses are a good checkup for us, Sun Valley, so pay close attention. Listen to what the Holy Spirit has for us. There is a Greek word used in verse 27 that seems to be difficult to translate. In fact, it takes six English words to translate one Greek word. Here are the six English words. Let your manner of life be. That comes from one Greek word, and that Greek word is polituomai. Polituomai takes six English words to translate. But this word, this long Greek word, is based on one word, really, that comes from the word city, or polis in Greek. The word actually refers to the idea of citizenship. In that day, your citizenship was attached to the city from which you came. And so the Philippian citizen, Roman citizenship came from their attachment to Philippi in the city in which they live. This verb, polituomai, means to conduct yourself worthy as a citizen of that city or that state, whatever it may be. Do you remember in Acts 16 and Acts 19, Paul was at the center of city riots. In Philippi, Paul caused a riot because of how the people of that city felt about their city. Paul had mercifully delivered a slave girl from an evil spirit. You remember the story, causing her owners to make a ruckus and stirring up the, the citizens of Philippi. And then they took him to the city leaders and accused him of disturbing the city and advocating customs that were not lawful for Roman citizens. And then you look at Acts 19 in Ephesus and we see Paul in the middle of another huge disturbance in that city. They accused him of undermining the city's religious practices. My point is, 
is that these people in Philippi and Ephesus cared about their city. They had particular likes and dislikes that they all agreed upon. They were citizens of their city and it mattered greatly to them. But when Paul writes in verse 27, if you'll look at your text, that Christians are to conduct themselves worthily as citizens, he's not talking about citizens of Philippi or citizens of Ephesus. He's thinking of Christians who were members of God's church who were citizens of heaven. He even uses those words, citizens of heaven, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You are citizens of heaven. I have a passport that says I'm a citizen of the United States of America. No matter where I go in the world, this booklet here says that John Schubert is a citizen of the United States of America. Paul was communicating that whatever loyalties you may have to Philippi, Ephesus, Rome, or the United States of America, your loyalty to Christ supersedes all of those. I was going to say trumps all of those, but that might be inappropriate in this political climate. Anyways, we are Christians are to live in such a way as to demonstrate our fidelity to Christ over everything else. Our polytuomai is to the church. Our polytuomai is to God's people. Our polytuomai is to Christ. We belong to a living community, friends, that spans nations, ethnicity, thousands of years, and even into the next life. As Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. And it includes all who are and ever will be there. This requires us to have a very narrow focus of our loyalties and our commitments while we live here on this planet. We need to keep things straight in our minds and more so in our lives. Our focus and our efforts must be centered on the common life of the church, the church of Jesus Christ. We must contribute to the well-being of our church and the welfare of each attendee of our church. Are we, are you doing that? If we forget where our our allegiance lies, we will find ourselves distracted from the purpose for which God saved us. We will be diminishing the value of the local church. If we more value our American citizenship, our residence in Yakima, we need to keep these things straight in our mind. We will find ourselves consumed with what consumes the citizens of this world, like money, prestige, toys, selfish pursuits. If we get this list wrong, it's very important to remember where our allegiance lies. Where does your allegiance lie, Christian friend? The Philippians were proud to be Roman citizens, proud to be Philippian Romans. So when Paul told them that their manner of life needed to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, they fully understood what he was saying. Didn't confuse them at all. They knew that he was saying, as much as you are proud of being citizens of Philippi and Rome, be more so of being citizens of heaven. Our heavenly citizenship should govern our daily lives. In our homes, in our schools, in our churches, in our places of employment, everywhere we go. Our citizenship in heaven should govern how we act and think daily. The Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh 
which war against your soul. That same verse in the King James reads like this. I urge you, brothers, as strangers and aliens. That is what we are here. We are strangers and aliens. This is not our home. We're not representing Yakima. We're not representing the state of Washington or the United States of America. We're representing heaven's court and heaven's king. The world influences us so much every day. We must regularly remind ourselves of our true residence. I do not belong here, we should think and say. I'm a stranger and alien. I belong to another kingdom, to another king. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So what kind of life is a life that's worthy of the gospel? Paul says that we ought to be living lives that are worthy of the gospel. So what kind of life is that? Well, living a gospel-worthy life is a life that's consistent with God's word. It means to live daily with integrity in every area of life. It means to consciously make much of Jesus Christ in every circumstance you find yourself in. When Christians don't live in a manner worthy of the gospel, it may look something like this. When they claim Christ, but they fight with their spouse. When they claim Christ, but they mistreat their employees. When they claim Christ, but demand to be first or demand to have the best. Fight to get to the front of the line at Costco, etc. Friends, is the gospel credible or not? Has the Holy Spirit actually entered our lives and made a difference of how we think, what we prioritize? When the world looks at the church and does not see holiness, purity, integrity, love, compassion in the lives of the people who claim to be Christians, there is no compelling reason to believe the gospel that we proclaim or the Savior that we profess. If we're going to act just like the world around us in our priorities, our interests, our morality and commitments, what attraction is that to our unsaved neighbors? Friends, we are saved for a reason. We are saved to be partners in the gospel, are you playing a role on God's team to advance the gospel in Yakima in your neighborhood? Paul said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. No matter what happens, no matter if you're in prison or if you're persecuted or if you're in the middle of a coronavirus outbreak, let your life or live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does that look like? Well, Paul lays it out here. He gives us four ways to think and act in this passage I read to you. As a local church, as Sun Valley Church, I think we can benefit from thinking about that, especially in our current climate. The first thing he says there in chapter 1, verse 27, is that we ought to be standing firm together in one spirit. Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that you, whether I come or, or go or hear about what you're doing, that you are standing firm in one spirit. That's the first thing, Sun Valley Church, we need to be thinking about. Are we, you and me, standing firm together in one spirit? The word Paul used for standing firm means steadfastly holding our ground regardless of danger, opposition, or consequences. That's what standing firm means. It means to steadfastly hold your ground regardless of the danger, the opposition, or the consequences. Paul chose this word because he wanted the Philippians to hold fast to their belief in the gospel without wavering regardless of personal cost. And let me tell you, the cost was severe to them. 
as it may be to us someday soon. As Christians, we are to stand together for and against things. We are to stand for the truth, for the oppressed, for each other. But we are also to stand against things, like stand against evil, stand against worldliness, stand against selfishness and error. We are to do this together. We must be committed to each other's spiritual health. We must be committed to helping each other progress the gospel in our own community. Secondly, we can see in verse 28 that we're to be striving together. Actually, it's for end of verse 27. He says that I may hear that you are standing firm in the spirit and then that you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he wants us as a church to be standing together with one spirit and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The, the word striving is an interesting one in the original language. I want to use that word just so you'll understand what Paul was saying. It's sunathleo is the Greek word, sunathleo. It's a compound verb that includes, that means it includes two parts. The first is soon, which means with, and then athleo. Does that sound familiar? Athleo, athletics. That's where we get our English word athletics. Soon athleo, it means to compete together for a common cause. Together competing. Paul wants to think of uh, the church, or as Christianity maybe, as a team sport. In team sports, the team members rely on each other to do their part to make the whole team successful. We all know that. Most of us have played team sports. This is obvious. But at times it seems that Christians think that Christianity is an individual sport. I don't need the church. I don't need small group. I don't need the fellowship of the saints. When in reality, you can't escape this anywhere in the New Testament. We do need one another. Christianity is a team sport. The steeplechase event at the Olympics is an individual sport, and it's been won by a Kenyan ever since the Kenyans first entered the competition in 1968. The Kenyan steeplechase team in 2004, which consisted of three men, um, displayed an amazing amount of teamwork, even though this sport technically is an individual sport. Near the end of the race, they were running in first, second, and fourth place. And so the Kenyan that was in the lead slowed down and waved his arm and yelled encouragement to his teammate who was running in fourth place. His encouragement motivated his fellow Kenyan to move into third place. And so the Kenyan swept all three medals, gold, silver, and bronze, because of teamwork. They were striving together. This was Paul's goal for the Philippians and is God's goal for us, Sun Valley Church. We're to strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel. We are to aid each other in our spiritual growth. We are to hold each other accountable for our Christian testimony. We are to come alongside and motivate each other like the Kenyan runner did and remind each other of why we are here. Why are we running this race? We each have a part to play. The question is, what part are you playing? Are you being faithful at your part? Are you serving, giving, praying, loving, sharing, and sacrificing? Or are you sitting on the sidelines as a spectator? 
Being a Christian is not a spectator sport. It's a team sport that requires your participation. The unity that Paul is commanding comes directly from Jesus here. It's not something Paul made up. It actually came from God, from Jesus himself in John 13, in John 17. One of Jesus' primary concerns is that we stand together with one mind and strive together in one spirit because this brings the most glory to God and the most joy to his people. In John 3, 13, rather, uh, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. In John 17, he prays to the Heavenly Father that we would be one. So this was Jesus' primary concern. It was also Paul's primary concern because it was Jesus' primary concern. So if it was Jesus' primary concern and Paul's primary concern that we stand together and strive together for the sake of the gospel, should it not be our concern? I think it should be. We are to stand together with one mind. We are to strive together in one spirit for the sake of the gospel. Thirdly, we see in verse 28... We are to shun fear together. Look at verse 28 again. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul said, we ought not to be frightened by anything from our opponents. This verse speaks of those who were opposing the progress of gospel Christianity in the first century. There was growing opposition to the Philippians and their saving testimony, their their gospel embrace. People didn't like what they were hearing and they started to persecute the Philippian church. And so Paul sent this message to them to encourage them in the midst of it. Paul told them not to fear anything. This actually means that there was something to fear. And so Paul said, don't be fearful. We know that the gospel was not well received in that first century. We know that many of those folks were suffering greatly for the cause of Christ. And so Paul says, don't be fearful, trust God. So we need to here shun fear together. And if I may, I want to extend the meaning Paul intended. I want to address the issue that we're facing in Yakima, Washington State, United States, the whole world in fact. Um, the world is under a cloud of fear currently. Paul says, don't fear anything. The World Health Organization has recently declared the coronavirus a global pandemic with serious implications. That's scary. As we know, we can respond to such news in many different ways. We can run out and buy a year's supply of toilet paper and 100 pounds of jerky and maybe get in a fight at Costco if we're lucky. Maybe then cower in our basements with all the lights turned off and sandbag the front door. That's one way we could respond to this current crisis. But as Christians who believe in God's meticulous oversight and control of these things, we can peacefully rest in the truths that we embrace. We can even go a few steps further than that. We can confidently speak out and act out our faith in a sovereign God who loves us. We can confidently talk to people who are in fear. I had an interesting conversation with a bank teller on Friday. She was afraid. She was nervous. She wanted reassurance. 
And I was gladly able to tell her that fear didn't need to be the emotion of choice. That there are better options. That there is a loving God who is in control. Friends, we can strive side by side with one another for the faith of the gospel in the middle of this coronavirus scare. We have a sovereign God and an apostle who says, don't fear. We shouldn't be frightened by any enemy, whether it's human or a virus. We believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all things, including a virus. We believe he currently reigns today, just as he did a month ago before this thing broke out. So let's take the gospel everywhere we go, the, the truth of God. Let's make much of Christ today as we face the coronavirus and a, in a community full of fear. We are in a battle for vulnerable and frightened souls. Let's shun fear and run into the battle with swords drawn, faces painted, and spirits determined to make much of Christ. Let's offer the gospel of hope to Yakima. This is an opportunity, not a threat. Friends, we have a massive opportunity right in front of us. When, other, when others are running around in a state of panic and claim the sky is falling, we who believe in a sovereign God can point them to the sturdy Christ, the stable Savior, the author and sustainer of life and of the afterlife. And then finally, in verses 29 and 30, it says we are to suffer together. So we're to stand together. Stand together, it says standing firm together in one spirit. Strive together side by side for the faith of gospel. Don't fear anything, but be, but be prepared to suffer together. According to the New Testament, belief in Christ and suffering as Christians go hand in hand. It's almost as if you can't have one without the other. In reading the New Testament comments on suffering, they are all directed, by the way, at a corporate body. They're not directed to individuals. All the words you in the New Testament are plural. We suffer together as Christians. When one suffers, we all suffer, according to verses 29 and 30. There, Paul is speaking of the corporate body of believers. Listen, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his name's sake. He goes, for it has been granted to you all. Y'all, if you're from Texas. The first thing we see in these verses is that we believe on Christ by grace through faith. It has been granted to you. That is a gift of grace that you believe on him. Then it seems that we need to suffer for that belief. And not only believe on him, but suffer for his sake, Paul said. But all this points back to one thing, one person, Christ. We are suffering and believing for the sake of Christ. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should believe and suffer. This means that our salvation and our suffering for being a Christian all play into exalting Christ, making much, making much of Jesus. If we suffer during this time that we're facing right now, let's make sure that Christ is exalted. 
No matter what happens to us, whether in life or death, let's make much of Jesus. Being partners in the gospel means that we stand firm together, we strive together, we shun fear together, and we suffer together. Sun Valley Church, listen to me. God has graciously given us a huge opportunity to practice being an authentic Christian community like never before in the 17-year history of this church. What an amazing opportunity we have right now. God is teeing it up for us. All we got to do is hit it. What an opportunity this is. We'll have to adjust how we function a little bit as a local church. We're, but I'm confident, friends, that, that your spiritual foundation is strong. I'm confident that your faith in God's loving sovereignty is strong. I'm confident that your commitment to one another is strong. And as we face this crisis, we can fearfully crouch in the shadows or we can be lights together for the gospel of Christ in Yakima, on your street, at your place of work. So let's do everything we can together. Let's love each other well. Let's love our neighbors well. Let's be good, good examples of godly people who trust their Savior and make much of Jesus every day. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as we think about our circumstances that you have ordained, our, our minds drift to our only hope, which is you. We know that our hope is not in a vaccine. We know that our hope is not in a government supplying test kits. We know that our hope is not in the food that Costco can supply, but in you, our God and Savior who loves us, who came to live and die for us. And so now, Father, we, we intentionally put our hope and trust completely on you. Holy Spirit, do this work in each of us. Do not allow us to succumb to fear. Help us to work together, stand together, strive together, suffer together as a church to be a light together for Jesus Christ in this community. God, be glorified in us. Glorify yourself in all your people across this planet during this pandemic. Help the church universal to make much of Christ now in this time of opportunity. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.